Heart takes, not hot takes. This is Everyone is Wrong, a counterintuitive pop culture podcast. I'm your host, Seth Sommerfeld. Thanks for listening. My guest today is an elite-level hissing kitty, has taken certain foundational fashion cues from musicals, and is my favorite bartender in town. Don't tell Ami. Oh. <laughs> she came through my bedroom window today, though not literally, to take us on a magical mystery tour in defense of the Beatles-centric 2007 romantic jukebox musical Across the Universe. Everyone is wrong, but Naomi from Itchy Kitty isn't. Thanks for coming on, Naomi. Thank you for having me, Seth. How are you doing today in this? Uh, we're doing this in person, which is only the second one of these I've done in person and the first one in Spokane in person. So I appreciate you trekking over across the I-5 divide. And- <laughs> making Beatles time for us uh yes can do (laughs) no problem (laughs) just that that patter that is just irresistible for podcasts (laughs) here we go so anyway let's get into the background of Across the Universe Across the Universe is a 2007 romantic jukebox musical featuring the music of the Beatles the film was directed by noted theatrical director Julie Taymor best known for bringing the Lion King musical to life on Broadway and probably worse known for bringing Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark to the stage. The movie's story centers around Jude, played by Jim Sturgis, a young shipworker in Liverpool in the 1960s who sets across the pond initially to meet his American GI father, who turns out to be a janitor at Princeton. While at Princeton, he encounters the rebellious Max, played by Joe Anderson, and the two quickly become best pals. Jude decides to aimlessly stick around the States, and when Max takes Jude back to his family's house for Thanksgiving, Jude meets his sister Lucy, played by Evan Rachel Wood, and is immediately smitten by her despite the fact that she has a military boyfriend. Max and Jude decide to move to New York City and get caught up in the psychedelic counterculture of the time, living in a crowded artist apartment with the Joplin-esque singer Sadie Donna Funches and her Jimi Hendrix-esque black guitarist boyfriend slash bandmate Jojo, Martin Luther, and the diminutive, closeted Asian lesbian prudence, TV Carpio. After Lucy's beloved is killed at war, she also moves to New York City, and she and Jude begin a romance that eventually gets tied up in the anti-war movement, more drugs, and lots and lots of music. All this is tied together over the course of the film by 34 different songs composed by various Beatles members. The film premiered at the 2007 Toronto International Film Festival and hit theaters on October 12th, 2007. It was a box office failure, only bringing in $29.6 million against a $70.8 million budget. And before we get into the critical response to this movie, Naomi, what is your personal experience with this movie? When did you first see it? What kind of hooked you about Across the Universe? Uh, When I first saw it, I was really young. I'm trying to think how old I was. So it came out in 2007. How fucking old am I? Uh, So I was like 20 years ago. Wait a minute. That doesn't make sense. (laughs) No, that's not 20 years ago. No, that's not 20 years ago. (laughs) It's like 15 years ago. Yeah, so I think I was like 12 or... 13 when I first saw the movie and I remember just seeing it on like like seeing the cover for it at like the grocery store in the town I lived at and I thought the cover was cool and so I decided to rent it and as soon as I watched it I was like wow this is crazy good I'm really into this and it just made me really emotional it made me 
hear Beatles songs that I had never even heard before, and my parents were huge Beatles fans, so mm-hmm. that was, like, really shocking to me to, like, hear Beatles songs I had never heard all of a sudden. Right. And just, yeah, everything about the movie from the visuals to the way that they decided to compose the songs for the movie, it was just something that really stuck with me and i've probably watched the movie way too many times at this point but that's, the, that's what we're here for yeah. we're here for the people that watch the movie too many times that nobody else watches too many times yep <laughs> awesome yeah and this is my first one as with many of the podcast topics i was just like i don't know i was never a huge beatles person and it was like eh i come from a musical theater family so i sometimes get especially like 2007 would have been like right around like when I was going off to college, probably. So it was like, oh, I'm sort of not in the mood to go see this, like, my freshman year or whatever. Yeah. Anyway, as for the critical response to Across the Universe, the movie sits at a rotten 53% among critics. Jesus. <laughs> and only 43% among top critics. Though it has a very high audience score of 82%, which, again, given the box office, was like, everybody who went to see this liked it, but <laughs> lots of people sort of did not go to see this. So it's the counterbalance of that. As for what the critics had to say about this, Melissa Anderson of Time Out New York stated in her one-star review, audiences already have an answer song to Julie Taymor's latest folly, Let It Be. In a season that will see the release of two extraordinary interpretations of the power of pop music, the Ian Curtis biopic Control, and the splintered Bob Dylan disquisition I'm Not There, the completely misguided Across the Universe stands out even more as a theme park travesty. Oh my gosh. <laughs> In other one-star reviews, there was lots of one-star reviews of this movie, The Guardian's Andrew Pulver wrote, after two hours of butchered classics, it's a relief when it's over. While the Independence Anthony Quinn said, this is like watching a car crash in slow motion. Oh my fucking God, this is so bad. <laughs> Owen Gilberman of Entertainment Weekly opined, the Beatles already survived one attempt by Hollywood to turn them into Kish, 1978's infamous Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. And so you have to wonder what they did to deserve Across the Universe. Julie Taymor's goofy, pompous, annoyingly boomer, myopic Fab Four musical. Gilberman added, watching across the universe, it's almost fun to pick out which use of the Beatles makes you gag the most. Tamor serves up the songs in sludgy marzipan renditions, cramming them into her god-awful shopping mall rehash of the late 60s. That is horrific to hear. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I've never looked into like critic reviews of mm-hmm. the movie at all. I've definitely just spent my entire life like anytime that movie has been brought up among like just people nobody ever like i've never once <laughs> talked to a single fucking person that's ever been like oh, i love that movie and it's been really disappointing but i didn't think that critics were gonna be that brutal of it especially considering like i don't know it's it's so one of the things about the critics is a lot of them are like this is a movie that sort of depends on your Beatles fandom and how open you are to like different versions of it. Yeah, change. Also how much like ambition, like both the people that really liked it are like, this movie's super ambitious. And the people that didn't like it are like, they're trying to be super ambitious and it's not working. So that's usually the divide. Here's a couple more just off the top. Peter Howell, the Toronto star wrote, 
You'd have been better off sampling the brown acid at Woodstock than risking brain cells on Across the Universe, the bizarrely ornate nail Julie Taymor hammers into the Beatles' coffin. That's... That's brutal. That's really brutal. These are all really brutal. I pull out the really brutal ones. Yeah. Uh, that, that, there'll be some nice ones here coming. So just, if you can hold on one or two okay. more. Okay. I promise. I promise I'm not just here to... Oh, no, no, no. It's okay. I just have a lot to say about it. So make you miserable. Jesus. And feel free to respond to these as we go along. Okay. Uh, Brian Terelko of UGO called the movie, an example of how not to let your grand idea get the better of you and make you forget about the basics of movie making, like character, plot, and because this one's a musical, people who can sing. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> I gotta stop you right there. There is... Okay. So, I have heard from a lot of people that the plot is garbage, but if you pay attention to the movie, it's not. Like, it's actually really heartfelt and, like, scary. Like, there's, like, a lot of, like... I don't know. It jumps between being like, this is a really cool representation of like the time period and like, you know, like the art that was going on during that time. And like my parents, when they saw the movie, they were like, this is exactly how it was back then. You know, like this is what it was like. Like they did a really good job, like representing that and interpreting that through the movie. But then while they're doing that, it's also like interpreting like the really bad parts of that time period. Mm -hmm. Like, so the storyline is actually like the plot is actually pretty good like i feel like a lot of people just don't have the attention span to like really pay attention to what's going on in that movie because it does jump around a lot but it does have a flow in that regard so when people say that there's like no plot it's like i don't know what you're talking about i don't know like the, these critics who are like bashing the movie and being like this is a terrible representation of the music and stuff i totally get that the beatles are the beatles like what are you gonna do like you know mm -hmm. like people have listened to the beatles forever people are obsessed with the beatles people right. learn their songs like it's very like ingrained in world culture at this point that the beatles were a huge deal and their music for most people like carries like a lot of emotions it carries like a time period in their life it, it carries like nostalgia all these things and like it's also just really catchy and really fun to listen to but like that's even a ballsier thing about the movie is that they decided to take all of these like songs reinterpret them for the film and try and make it into like the thing that it is and like that's ballsy as it is to just take Beatles songs at all and rework them right and the fact that they went for it anyway is like super super impressive I'll also note that Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr both loved the film yes so I was gonna bring that up later but yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they both really liked the movie and like I think it was like I can't remember because I read about it like years ago when I was like into the you know really into like how they make this movie, what happened, and blah, 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 like the story of the movie and stuff like that. But it it, it did, like, I, uh, from what I remember, it did do good in box office for, like, a second, and then it just, like, like, it got, like, number eight or something, and then after that, it was just, like, tanked. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, yeah, it was one of the, it wasn't, like, it did just go nowhere. It was still, like, it charted its first week, but it was also not, you know, when you have a movie like this, you wanted to open at the top of the box office yeah yeah, yeah. they so, also changed the release date like several times yeah it so. kept getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back but yeah i mean as you were saying like lots of the criticisms like reading over them a lot of them had issue with all the 60s like you're just trying to like cram this in and it's like color coded thing so i don't know i think it sort of depends on how you do it's also weird when you going over all these reviews and you start to notice like on other podcasts it's just like some of them use the same phrases over and over like there were multiple reviews that used 
the term soft headed to describe the movie. Does that mean, do they mean dumb? Like dim, like, <laughs> like, and like dumb. Yeah. But we'll transition into this because there were some critics that absolutely adored this and really were on board with Tamor's ambitious vision. And it did receive some awards recognitions. It was nominated for the Golden Globe for Best Musical or Comedy. And it got one Oscar nomination for Best Costume Design. So it wasn't like, you know, totally shunned in all circles. There were people that appreciated at least aspects of it. Stephen Holden of the New York Times wrote, Somewhere around its midpoint, Across the Universe captured my heart. And I realized that falling in love with a movie is like falling in love with another person. Imperfections, however glaring, become endearing quirks once you've tumbled. Rick Groen of Globe and Mail said, This is tour de force stuff. And yet, just like a good pop tune, the premise is all boy meets girl simplicity. Does he mean that in a bad way? No, he means that in a good oh, way. Oh, okay. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> it's like, oh, like, you know, it's just like so simple and you just buy in and like, oh, yeah, you know, like a simple love song that's like three chords and. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like early Beatles songs where it's just like, oh, yeah, this is, there's not that complex about it, but it's just like, oh, it hits. The Sydney Morning Herald's Sandra Hall wrote, I thought Dion Beebe's work in Chicago was the ultimate in showing just how adorably the camera can glide into the role of choreographer. But Tamor and her cinematographer, Frenchman Bruno Delabonel, Amelie, have the same way of using music and lyrics as a supplementary language, all of a piece with gesture and conversation. There are none of those breathless pauses that traditional musicals use to herald the launch of a production's number. The phrase itself seems to be out of place here. Songs are used to span distances, link characters, and amplify action and metaphor. Amy Biancoli of the Houston Chronicle opined, it is at times completely insane. Tamor fans will spot her hallmarks, the giant puppets, the artist's eye, the urge to indulge, every fulgent visual fantasy that comes across her brain. But bless her for the guts to try something new. The Beatles covers, sung by surprisingly able cast members, plus the likes of Joe Crocker and the Secret Machines, are faithful without being slavish, and the lead performances endear. And lastly, because this is Everyone is Wrong, and there's a certain critic who is the patron saint of this, who likes most of the bad movies, quote-unquote bad movies, he also liked this movie. Roger Ebert gave this movie a four out of four star review, and he wrote, The beauty is in the execution. The experience of the movie is joyous. I don't even want to know anybody who complains that they aren't hearing, quote, the real Beatles. Fred Astaire wasn't Cole Porter either. These songs are now more than 40 years old, some of them, and are timeless. And hearing these unexpected talents singing them, yes, Bono, Izzard, and Crocker too, only underlines their astonishing quality. It's the kind of movie you watch again, like listening to a favorite album. It was scheduled for the Toronto International Film Festival, but was previewed, as several Toronto films were, for critics in major cities. I was drowning in movies and deadlines, and this was the only one that I went to see twice. So Naomi, why is everyone wrong about Across the Universe? It's a lot to unpack. Okay, so after hearing all of that, (laughs) I think everyone's wrong about Across the Universe because they're too stuck i think i think the main thing about it is that they're way too stuck in the beatles performances of their songs which is understandable you know like like i said before 
people are really obsessed with the Beatles. It's a big deal to a lot of people. But if you can just let go of that and take the reworking of the songs for what it is, it makes the movie so enjoyable. On top of that, yeah, like like you mentioned a second ago, most of this movie, as far as like the vocals went, were done by cast members. Mm -hmm. I think there was probably only like a few instrumental songs or something like that in the whole film. And then on top of it, like they had like guest people come in to do stuff like Bono and shit. And that's like really rad that the people who were performing in the movie the actors were able to sing these songs the way that they did like and being able to hear the songs in a different way also leads to like new interpretations of the songs like i had i hadn't heard a lot of those beatles songs when i was a kid when Mm -hmm. i first watched the movie but those songs that i was super familiar with because i think we owned like five cds when i was a kid and i didn't know other bands existed until i was like (laughs) way older i lived in the middle of nowhere but Abbey Road was like one of the only CDs I had. Uh, it was my parents. I still have it. And that was like, you know, one of the first things of music I had ever heard. So like any of the songs that were on Abbey Road that were in the movie, like hearing them reinterpreted made me also reinterpret the way that I was hearing them, you know, and like thought of them in a different light. Like, like you know how when you listen to a song and the lyrics mean a specific thing to right. you, but the person who wrote it meant something completely different. Everyone interprets art differently. Yeah. I think when you see art reinterpreted and then it's also given to you, it goes through so many different funnels of reinterpretation that it can end up meaning something completely different to you, you know? Mm-hmm. But I think if people can just get over the hump of like Beatles songs redone, I really do think they could enjoy the movie, which is why I think that most people are wrong, because I do think that that's the main reason. So, yeah, I think that sort of bleeds into your first point of defense, which is that it's sort of the combination of the elements that are the musical, quote unquote, things, the choreography, the vocal performances, the cinematography. You just really connect with those and think they're excellent. Yeah, so the cinematography in that movie is actually insane. Like, if you look at the way a lot of the shots are done, it it's crazy to do. Like, the things that they're doing, super crazy. Like, there's several scenes that if you, like, pay attention to what they are, it's like, that was probably really complicated to film. And, like, I know a lot of shots they had to get in one shot while coordinating hundreds of people to do the same movements. Like, that is really difficult. The choreography that went into that combined with the cinematography is absolutely nuts to me. Even if we look at, like, the underwater scene that they had, like, that's that's a lot of shooting underwater that these actors had to do. Yeah, late, like, in, late in the movie, there's a scene where it's sort of like a lovey, like, underwater, where it's literally just the characters are floating and yeah but you can tell that it's actually shot underwater because the hair is moving it's not cgi stuff so it's yeah it's very sensual and it's also like the like the lighting in those shots is crazy um the way that they decided to like layer the shots with like different actors floating through it super cool and then yeah it's like if you're doing something like that on a set like you're gonna spend like all day shooting something like that or more you might even spend like a week shooting something like that because it's really difficult to do And that's just, like, I don't think people appreciate stuff like that when they see it in a movie like this, which is unfortunate. Yeah, it's definitely, you can tell, as some of the reviews mentioned, you can tell the ambition is here. Like, Julie Taymor is absolutely going for it on pretty much all moments of the movie. I think one of the things that stood out, you know, initially about the cinematography is it's such a, and maybe even more so than some other musicals which tend to do this, it's 
so richly colorful. Mm-hmm. Like you notice early, there's a scene where Prudence is a cheerleader and they're on like this dusty field, but the, all the cheerleaders are this bright, vibrant green colors. And it's just like, it's these, it doesn't feel like really like like Baz Luhrmann, like fake glitzy kind of thing, like yeah. Elvis and things like that. It doesn't feel like it's, you know, often hyper stylized, but it just feels like rich with colors or, you know, the same with like the bowling alley. It's just like, oh, this is a very colorful spot. You know, it's it's hyped up than like, you know, if you went to a bowling alley in the 60s, it wouldn't probably pop quite as much, no. but it's like, <laughs> it's still very, it's still visually appealing in that sense yeah i think that i think that the way that they handled all of the like color editing and stuff like that in the film i think that was really important to like because like you said like in the 60s if you went to a bowling alley probably looked drab as fuck but (laughs) like you like if you take the shots that they did and then you do what they did to the colors and stuff i think like a big part of all of that is like to using the colors in the shots to express the vibrancy of the time period because like like you said like it doesn't come off that way in real life or in person but like the vibe of the time period was very vibrant like people were very lively people were experimenting with things and getting weird and you know like lsd and things like that were on the rise like there there was a lot of that stuff going on and like art was becoming super colorful and crazy like people were really breaking out of the box in that time period because you're like exiting like the 50s where it's like be a fucking housewife do the dishes take some quaaludes take care of the kids and like dad goes to work and comes home and just drinks himself to sleep after he slaps you around a little bit like so you're coming out of that time period into a time period where young people are expressing that they don't want to do those things they're expressing themselves through art and music they're going a different route like you can even see it in the movie like max decides that he's gonna drop out of college and move to new york it pisses his parents off who are like super cookie cutter family right but that is like a good representation too of like breaking out of the mold that was originally set in the time period before and it really displays like how they've come into this era where like things have changed people want different stuff art is like booming like people are expressing themselves more than they ever have. So I think those vibrancies in the scenes is really important to show that in the film. Yeah. And, you know, there's lots of the psychedelia, like color schemes as Mm -hmm. things progress throughout, but it also isn't afraid to just not have everything be like crazy popping. Like, you know, sometimes the apartment when people are, you know, in a bad mood is drab or, you know, even like the football field I mentioned is not like this lush green thing. It's like this dusty kind of like mid middle of nowhere rundown football field. It's not, everything doesn't have to be at a hundred at all times. So there is more visual contrast in that sense. Yeah. I think the, I think the visual contrast is also really important because they use the visual contrast to their favor in the film where I think I mentioned in my notes, like there's like severe juxtaposition. I'm sure we'll talk about it more in a minute, but like they use the color contrast and things like that to show more of like the differences between like vibrant, fun things that are going on and like the tragedies and awful things that are happening like in the same time period together. Like, and I, I think that like, yeah, like having those like, you know, scary scenes not be super colorful and vibrant, like just adds to the whole feel of the film when you're going from like 
we're having fun. Like it, it, it makes the viewer like feel like, oh God, like, right. you know. On this same topic, you mentioned sort of some of the choreography and it, it varies sort of, there's lots of songs where it's just like they're not chore- really choreographed. It's kind of just like the characters walking around or singing to each other or, you know, they're at a bar and they're singing. But then there are these seeds that are much more choreographed, especially early in the movie. It's funny. There's lots of like sports choreography where it's like theater kids did this sports choreography yeah. where like the football field uh, when Prudence is singing, I want to hold your hand. There's a sequence where she's just like walking through the, mm-hmm. it's really visually stunning where she's just walking through sort of the scrum of the football practice, but also like the football players are like chucking each other like yeah. wrestlers <laughs> and stuff like that. And she's like just not unwavering and everything's going around her. And there's a scene where the girls are playing basketball and like everybody's running the same direction at the same time. And, you know, or they're sliding on the bully alleys like you could just slide every bowling surface apparently yeah it's just like this is made of ice so that's funny and then there's also you know i i think probably some people might have more criticisms of there's times where the choreography is like this is so weird like the like there's a scene where there's like businessman dancing in new york city which is like kind of like a little over the top there's I think like the, probably the cringiest moment, at least for me, was like the Uncle Sam like military recruitment thing. You thought that was cringy? Oh my god! Uh, yeah, I <laughs> thought that was brilliant. Like- so, so there's a scene where Max is he gets drafted into go fight in Vietnam, and he has to go like report. And all of a sudden, he's like in the reporting office, and like the Uncle Sam posters start singing at him. They come to life, and then there's all these like wooden jawed like military folks that they do dances with at one point they're hauling like the statue of liberty through like a mini vietnam set where (laughs) they're like huge kaiju or something like that oh no it's is it that's that one's a little much for me even but and i'm a little more forgiving i can see people that like are not into like musical theater at all it's be like this is fucking dumb yeah (laughs) no i can totally see that the business scene was actually one i wanted to bring up like because like I think I believe it's Jojo, right? Yeah, Jojo. Yeah, Jojo, walking. who's the uh, black guitarist. He's the sort of Jimi Hendrix sort of stand-in, yeah. and he, his story basically, he like his brother gets killed in the Detroit riots. It's kind of like that's one where the plot's a little. You're like, okay, I, I think I'm following this. Yeah, yeah, that part's a little bit confusing. I do believe it is something to that nature. Yeah. I think he might have been. Uh, I can't remember. I think that the movie alludes to like him having been in the military at one point or something. It does. It mentions that, but it, yeah, he's in Detroit and like his bro- little brother singing. Is that Let It Be? Let It Be. Yeah. And it, then they so show emotional. him in like a coffin, and they're they're yeah. contrasting. And we'll get to the juxtaposition. They're contrasting that to uh, Lucy's bow dying over, and so it's like yeah. death, death. And then he's coming over, and yeah, it's sort of like this businessman dancing scene is sort of like his introduction to new york city yeah so like he when he's in new york city like there's like a few different scenes where it's like he's going through like the more artsy district he's going through the red light district like that scene's also really cool come together it was a really good scene in that movie it's probably one of my favorites um the choreography on that was crazy not even crazy like just because it was like complicated and involved a lot of people just crazy because it just was like really like powerful feeling but so he's going through all these different places in new york that like represent like what new york is like during the time period but when he gets to like you know the 
you know, center of New York where it's like financial district yeah. and you know, they're playing they're playing a version of Come Together over all this and like it starts I think with Joe Crocker singing he's like mm-hmm. a homeless guy starting yeah. it and the, it like a bunch of different people sing it. That's also something about this musical that should probably be pointed out. It's just like they don't always be like this is this person's song. It's like, Mm-mm. we're going to start with this person and then we're going to go to a chorus and then it's going to be this random person. And then the person who's walking through might sing it. And, you know, it's all this smattering of musical in an untraditional kind of boundary pushing way. Yeah, it's super rad. I think the, I forgot that the business scene took place in Come Together. It happens during the guitar solo. And basically like uh, for me, like I thought that scene was like, cool to show because it's like here's here's another juxtaposition of like what new york was like during that time period because those people who are in the business district i think what they're trying to portray in that is like that people are, who work in that those fields are very robotic and like very cookie cutter and stuff because like everyone's you know everyone in that scene and it's like tons of people they're all walking like at the same time and then like changing direction at the same times and it's like very visually like scary (laughs) yeah it's like sharp movements it's like they're i don't know like that movie i think the adjustment bureau it looks like they're almost like there's a sinister aspect to these like guys carrying their briefcase and being like we're all moving in sync and yeah we are like automatons in this corporate system or whatever yeah it it, their movements kind of remind me of like when you're playing like an old nes game and like you're moving across like it's not a platformer but like what do you call those ones that are side scroller it's not really side scroller. I'm trying to think of a game that's like old that's like this. Uh, like there's like a top view. What are they called? That's gonna drive me crazy. There's like a top view and like you have to like go around, kind of like Zelda, like old. Oh Zelda yeah, game. like the, like the over the top like camera view. Yeah, and you're like walking and like it's very jagged movements, like because yeah. it's fucking. You have to go like you have to go up, down, left, right. Yeah, their movements remind me of that with how like you know sharp that they are but yeah i think i think showing that scene was really cool during like the rest of the scenes that they were showing in that part because it is like it is a part of like new york culture still to this day and like you can you can still kind of see that that old like how i was talking about earlier the we're coming out of the 50s and stuff like that where everyone's doing that kind of thing it kind of shows it showcases that a little bit more that it's still happened like people are still living that lifestyle so not everybody is in this like psychedelic phase you know right right yeah it's not a homogenous thing it, it's just like almost groups of homogenous people coming around yeah yeah and yeah the other thing that i wanted to mention at least in terms of like the visual things that stuck out to me is late in the movie when there's the strawberry fields where oh it's, yeah it starts with jude pinning these strawberries for like an art piece that's like just looks very cool yeah and it devolves into a bunch of like the red becomes blood and all this and we'll talk about that in the juxtaposition one coming up but like just the like actual art of the strawberries pinned was just like oh that's a very cool visual and yeah i I responded to that um i i definitely experienced the same thing like the first time i saw the movie and i saw the strawberries pinned that as an artist i was like that's really cool and i recreated it at home because nice. I was like, I want to see that in person. And that was fun to do. And I was pretty young. So like, that was a very out of the box thing for me to try at that time. But I, I found that to be like, very visually appealing the way that they decided to do that. I don't know. I do think that like, even the scenes that are like, more boring, like choreography wise, like, I do think that the choreography in those scenes is still 
carried by just even their facial expressions, you know? In, like, one of the opening scenes, it's not the very opening scene, but it's, like, pretty close to the beginning, they do It Won't Be Long, and there's definitely, like, scenes in that, like, there's parts of that choreography that are obviously, like, super choreographed, but there is, like, a lot as far as just, like, mo- like general movement and facial expression that I see as choreography still, like, especially when it's, like, switching between scenes of Lucy at prom and uh jude in some basement show in liverpool right Right. and like the the prom scenes are very heavily choreographed looking but then the scenes with jude are not for the most part and it's just like more of like facial expressions and like small movements and stuff like that and i think that the like i think that the way they decided to do those scenes like still comes off as choreography to me at least i don't know if it does to anybody else but like i still see those small things in like the more like quote-unquote boring parts of the choreography like I still see like the choreography in it rather than just like they're just doing it they're just doing the thing like they're just singing it it's like the the micro expressions on their faces the way that they're acting like uh there's another scene they're doing the song revolution and they're in the office the anti-war yeah the anti-war revolution office or whatever at one point basically Lucy gets you know her brother's over at war her ex was killed at war and she Mm -hmm. just becomes like very hyper tunnel focused on anti-war and it sort of drives a rift between her and jude's relationship because he wants to sort of live in the moment and she wants to just she can't get her mind off this and then there's also like the charismatic good-looking guy who's in charge of the anti-war thing and he you know jude gets jealous and starts feeling like there's i went in the office and it's like two dudes and 58 women he's just like a i forget what he called it's not a jezebel he calls her he calls him like a don juan don juan yeah yeah a so, sh- a shagger yeah a shagger, i think that don too juan, yeah uh, and so he goes into the office uh to basically confront lucy and confront this guy yeah yeah so he goes in there to do that and then like the scene is just him like being pissed off essentially and like throwing shit around but it's still like super choreographed because there's like fight scenes in it and stuff but it does look very like casual compared to like other scenes i think as far as like choreography goes yeah it seems more like you know you could see that in like a newspaper movie or something like that that same type of scene and you wouldn't like think like oh that was a well choreographed scene but really it is a choreographed yeah. thing where yeah. he's like swimming in between all these people trying to stop him and going around opening all the different books and tearing pages out and just trying to create a little chaos in the anti-war. Yeah, I think I think that that's like another thing that separates like calling something choreography in this movie compared to other movies is because like there you got to remember like these actors are also like singing along to their lines in time and they have to be doing certain things at certain points like there's so much less leeway with that than there is with like a normal script that like your mouth moving is choreography yeah. like you can't go off book and when it's t- a timed musical you can't be like i'm gonna improv this thing and, yeah yeah unless you can somehow sync it up perfectly still yeah and like you have to think about timing if you're gonna do it. like it's it's super intense one more thing about the choreography was you mentioned the i want you scene with like the military and stuff I really like that scene because I think just like the business scene, it shows like the intensity and the like properness and like, what do you call it? Um, Regiment. Regiment, how rigid like the military is and how it's very much like 
you got to do this right now. Yeah, like, it's the conformity and... Yeah, like, and conformity is a good Literally, word. also the, you know, the wooden job guys, it's all these recruits being, like, stripped down to their underwear, mm-hmm. examined and stuff like that. And then they are literally, like, dancing, like, dance partners, but they're being, like, basically thrown around. And, like, they're yeah. not they're not dancing really in... It's not a mutual thing. It's like, you know, you're part of our property right now. Dance yeah. dance with us. Yeah. And they're like, they're moving these recruits in a certain way. And then like after the dance scene, they lower these recruits onto a conveyor belt to be shipped off to the next step. Like, yeah, it's actually really cool. The floor is just like some of the tiles just yeah. like move. It, it's a very cool little um, stage setup they have for that. Yeah, it's super interesting. Also, the makeup on that scene was insane. That's a lot of prosthetics to get a done. Lot. Like, Because it's, yeah, like dozens of these guys yeah coming through in this little room so yeah you mentioned i think the that scene at the start with the you know two different dance clubs in the prom and i think that sort of blends into your second point of defense which is sort of the juxtapositions and balances that are made throughout this film yeah so like that opening scene uh it kind of sets the president for the whole movie i think um yeah it's sort of setting up Jude and Lucy and sort of the different worlds that they come from, you know, the dingy basement club, kind of a little, you know, a little more rough and tumble. And then like the Americana like prom, like you would see in, you know, Back to the Future, where it's just like, oh, it's all these pretty white kids dancing in perfect time to a nice band. And these are upstanding young citizens that will go create something of their world as opposed to like the smoking kids in the rock club in some like, you know factory you know shipyard town yeah and i think that like i think that they're supposed to be like relatively close in age too so it definitely like shows like the differences in cultures during that time period like as far as like where they are the very opening scene of the movie is like jude on a beach and it's very like emotional like and it it, like when i first saw that opening scene i was like oh is this movie gonna be like fucked up and sad because that's what that's what that very opening scene makes you think and you're like jesus and then it you know jumps in to the um to the dancing and the to the dancing yeah. prom and the club's contrast yeah it that that for opening scene it's just dude on the beach and i'm just like first off it's he's instantly very charismatic i'm like mm-hmm. oh i this you know I, I i will say i think that Jude is the most charismatic, like the heart of this movie. And it's just like instantly, it's just like, oh, wait, am I supposed to be falling in love with this guy? Because I kind of like, (laughs) it took me like 20 seconds. I'm like, this guy is a dreamy dude. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's something that I want to talk about later is every, for some fucking reason, everybody in this movie's hot. I don't like, and it's like, I mean, that's in theory, that's like what a lot of movies are supposed to be, but they don't always, yeah, but they're like, come across with it. They're all hot, but then they also, like, their characters have cool personalities, and you're like, man, I would fuck all of these people. <laughs> this is insane. Like, whereas, like, other movies with, like, big name actors, I'm like, oh, okay, like, whatever. Like, yeah, you're cute, sure, but, like, it's d- d- like, you're just like, hmm. Yeah, one, I let them run a train on me. This is insane. The women, the men, all of it. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, one of the recent episodes we did was on hackers. And the two leads of that are Johnny Lee Miller is like the main dude. And then Angelina Jolie is the, yeah. the main woman. It's just like, and A, they're, they're, the charisma gap between the two is like substantial. But it's just also like, these are supposed to be like two like equally, you know, like hot young people. And it's just like, one of these is on a different level than yeah. other people. <laughs> That's often how it is with like a lot of movies. And this one, I think, you know, at least for your personal taste, 
It's hitting on all cylinders. Yeah, everybody's hot. Everybody's Rev got up the engines. Everyone's got something going on, like as far as like looks and personality in the film. It's kind of insane. But yeah, and even even that opening scene, sort of the juxtaposition. He's like on that beach, and it suddenly then goes to these crashing waves and helter skelter. Yeah, and it's sort of like the beach's waves crash, but projected in the waves are like social unrest in the 60s yeah and it's riots sort of like and trying to set like a little bit of a tone it's like a very kind of jarring opening to then transition into the juxtaposed like prom rock club thing it, it seems like yeah as you were saying it seems like it's gonna be like wait is this gonna be like very heavy yeah no <laughs> like that's that's like that's the thing about the movie that's so insane as far as the juxtapositions go is like like I said, like opening scene, you're like, is this going to be fucked up? And then it like jumps you into like a back and forth kind of thing where it's like lively and happier. But like throughout the movie, it continues to do that regularly. Um, and I th- I do think that that might be another reason why people don't like the movie is because they don't understand that, um, especially if they know nothing about the time period, like or like they didn't live through the time period or whatever, like. I know a bit about it just because my parents were really involved in, like, the hippie scene and stuff like that, but, like, and, like, you know, told me about, like, the, like, uh, protests for the Vietnam War and all these things, like, that was a really heavy thing for the youth during the time, you know? So to show, like, the differences throughout the film with that, I think, was super, super important. But the scene, the scene where it's jumping back and forth, like, yeah, it, like, shows the contrast between, like, two different cultures, cookie cutter and rough and tumble, like, more rock and roll kind of stuff. And then from there, it's, it's pretty much, like, you know, there's, like, pretty long gaps where it's, like, oh, psychedelic, cool, like, we're just chilling, like, everything's fine, we're all smoking weed, woo. There's, like, pretty big gaps that are just that. But throughout the movie, it still is trying to pull you back to like reality of like what was actually happening during the time. Like, right. There, there's lots of times where it will, you know, go into the character's stories and then suddenly will a musical number will come up and it then becomes that like hard contrast thing. Like mm-hmm. the one we mentioned where it was, it's like the Detroit riots and then also the soldier dying. And it's just like, uh, for let it be. And it's just like, these are, they're just like cutting back and forth between like, finding out Lucy's boyfriend is dead and finding out this little black kid got died in the riots, which then leave Jojo to New York city. And it, it just like, there's lots of those. We mentioned the strawberry fields where it Mm -hmm. like, where it's sort of the inner turmoil of Jude having like his relationship sort of with Lucy sort of fall apart. And then contrasting that with Max and his like very real turmoil, exterior turmoil of, the war and how the red juice of the berries becomes this blood and how they're both just like lost in, you know, trying to do that. And yeah, there's a few more that, you know, there's just throughout the movie, they Tamar keeps on coming back to this. Like I'm going to, because I have so many of these characters that you at least a little bit know, I'm going to contrast hard to it. Uh, you know, there's the King assassination and then they cut to, you know, Jojo playing his, guitar and singing like my guitar gently weeps which then transitions into like a relationship like jude is out of that one that one's a little stark for me where i'm just like do we have to go to like the king assassination to like the one black character to now it's about how jude is bummed that he's sad yeah yeah that's that was that was a bit that was a bit of a rough one yeah no there's um there's a few that are especially like jarring in the film like 
you've got like the characters that have just like everyone's just gone through like the uh, Mr. Kite scenes and stuff like they've all taken the bus or whatever and they're like on the whole so Mr. Kite train. There's basically just to explain a little bit of the plot there's a party that Sadie gets invited to because there's a record to producer trying to do it and some like psychedelic guy from San Francisco is there to sing I'm the walrus and that's Bono and then he yeah. takes everybody He's on basically like, supposed to be Timothy Leary yeah and then he takes everybody to like an LSD thing you know bus ride and then they get to a place and sort of just abandon everybody and then Eddie Izzard comes and does like the circus and yeah <laughs> it's very that's the psychedelic heart of the movie but yeah yeah that whole scene happens and it's very like like they find um prudence they find prudence again because, like, at one point in the movie, Prudence disappears. They're like, I don't know where she went. She'll come back eventually. But, like, when they go across the country somewhere, I don't I don't even know where they ended up. But when they end up in this field and the buses drop them off and stuff like that, they, like, they find Prudence again. In this circus. Yeah, in She's this circus. She's just, like, circus. working there where she can, can have a lesbian relationship. And it's like, cool. Yeah. It's like she, she, she met it. some hot contortionist. Yeah. And she's just vibing, doing a bunch of drugs, hanging out in this tent uh, right. with these weird people. But they, after that scene... They're all assumably high on some kind of hallucinogen laying in a field together. And it's really, it's really like dreamy feeling and just kind of like calm. And you're like, ah, and they're doing, um, because the world is round. And it's like, it's most, it's mostly like, it's, it's just like all the characters in the scene singing it. So you've got like 12 people singing this song like together. And it's really, it's just really dreamy moment. And you're like, oh, that's like a good come down from all the intensity of this circus. But then that immediately goes into like, and it's like kind of colorful and vibrant, not like super, but like that immediately goes into like Max naked floating in the water. Yeah. yeah and like, it's like Max is naked floating in the water, like face up and like the color is like drab, you know, it's like very dull. And then a helicopter goes over him and it's like kind of like the like moment of like realization, like shit's hitting the fan. For him, at least. And then in some of the scenes, too, I believe there are, like, some sort of, like, what I assume to be, like, Vietnamese, like, faces, like, in water. Yeah, there's a scene where it's it becomes where there's uh, nothing's good. Is it called Nothing's Gonna Change My World? Mm -hmm. Where it's they're juxtap sort of like the action peak of the third act. It's, like... Sadie singing Helter Skelter. Jude is like, you know, broken up with Lucy and he's singing Nothing's Gonna Change My World. And then there's also like these Asian women floating in like a Vietnamese like pool in like these yeah. very weird colors. And it's all just like slamming into one another. And then eventually Jude's at the like protest where everybody's getting arrested and he sees Lucy there and ends up getting busted up and arrested and deported and all this stuff and it's just like all this slamming of contrast of vietnam to this singing career to this you know protest it is all just mashing up into one and juxtaposed like helter skelter for America. yeah yeah it's like I, I, I do remember like the vietnamese women i remember being like i'm this is so scary like seeming like and it's just like i don't know that really hit for me because it was like i do remember my parents like explaining to me when i was a kid like when they first saw photos come out of the vietnam war right like i remember my dad explaining to me that like he will never get this image out of his mind of this woman 
like walking down the street naked and there's just like there's just like total carnage and rubble and like seeing like pictures of like kids and stuff like in the streets in Vietnam uh hearing about and seeing like that people were strapping bombs to kids to send them to talk to American soldiers to blow them up like those kind of tragedies like I was raised hearing about and so like seeing like the like Vietnamese women like floating scene I was like this is so scary and I totally get where they're trying to go with this and stuff but that's like I don't know like I think I think the Max stuff really does like Max's storyline really does help tie in all of that and that's another thing when I don't get when people are like the plot is shit it's like you don't understand like everyone's got their own plot lines going on they're all converging Mm -hmm. and then they're all adding to the juxtaposition together yeah I mean I think it might be one of those things where it is at a certain point I think there's so many characters that you might feel like criticisms of the plot can kind of be twofold where there's so many characters that you are not spending, you know, I probably could have used more time with just J- Jude and Lucy, you know, just, mm-hmm. you know, cause that's like the core of the movie is their romance. And you don't really spend a lot of time with them, like totally in like blissful love. Yeah. You know, you kind of, there's the yearning early and then they're sort of split apart and then they're, you know, they kind of connect and it's, very nice and then they sort of are at odds pretty soon afterwards and Mm -hmm. i feel like you know i'm sure some people are like i don't really care about the sadie and jojo story as much or you know things like that where i think the max you know one is obviously more crucial but you know when you're getting into you know some of the i feel like some of the characters it does feel like did you put this character in here just so that you could sing a song with this character's name in it yeah i totally (laughs) i totally get that too like that's another thing about the movie is like most of the characters have like names referring to like Beatles songs but I do think that like I think for the time especially I know it was 2007 and that doesn't seem like you know that it doesn't it probably doesn't seem very crazy to people um but it seems crazy to me just because of like being in that time period like during like around 2007 and stuff like I wasn't even out like I I'm pansexual I wasn't out at all I because I was terrified of being out you know because, like, anytime there was, like, a moment where I was, like, even just expressing something, like, calling my friend pretty or something, like, someone would call me a lesbian. Uh, and I knew that I was, like, I had a lot of gay, so I was, like, terrified right. of being out. But, like, 2007, like, there's still a lot of scary stuff happening to, like, you know, gay people. Homophobia was insane. Uh, same thing with, you know, people of color. Like, it was not... Things were not great. Uh, we've seen a lot of change in just the last, like, five years, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think, like, Prudence's character, like, you know, like, she may not be completely gay. I believe she's supposed to be portrayed as bisexual. Like, I think having that in the movie was good. I also think that's another reason why people don't like the movie, because I've had that brought up to me, that they didn't like the movie because they didn't like the gay thing. Or, like, my, like, friend's parents wouldn't let them watch it because there was gay in it. Hmm. Yeah, I also like grew up in a town where like racism was pretty prevalent. So like people didn't like a love story between, you know, Jojo and Sadie. It's like a black dude and a white chick like they didn't like that. Um, But I think having those things portrayed and then, yeah, like the Detroit riots and stuff like that, the Martin Luther King stuff, like I think doing that was also really cool for the time. Like because like this is before BLM and stuff like, you know, like. Nowadays, it's like we see a lot more of that and I'm super happy for it. But back then, like, 
I do think it took a little bit of balls to put those things in movies the way that they did, you know? Um, right. Especially something that's supposed to be, like, very marketable, like, mm-hmm. to, like, normal-ass I mean, yeah, people. In theory, like, if you told somebody that there was a Beatles, like, a big... It is one of those weird things where it's like if you told somebody there's going to be a Beatles musical, mm-hmm. it's like highly stylized and, you know, all this stuff, you would think it would do well because there's just so many Beatles fans. And yeah. for some reason, it just like did not click at the time. Yeah, I think I do think that like a, a portion of like people hating the movie is uh, racism and homophobia. I do think that is part of it, unfortunately, just because of the things I have heard firsthand from other people. Mm-hmm. And that's super unfortunate because it's a really good movie. But yeah, I think because of like, I think I think that like certain characters like weren't entirely like necessary to like have around a lot, but I do think it was good to have them there at all, you know. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, like they could have definitely focused on like Jude and Lucy more, but like for me, like I've definitely cried watching the movie. I've watched it a lot. I've definitely cried more than once watching it. And their love story is something that like invokes emotion for me. So I still think they were able to capture that love story enough while still like not keeping not keeping the whole love story lighthearted not keeping the whole movie in general lighthearted and then yeah like the strife that was being caused in like you mentioned earlier like the strife that was being caused in Jude and Lucy's relationship like a lot of that was attributed to her losing her first boyfriend in the war and to her brother then being sent to the war um and her concern for that and stuff even when Max gets back though it's like it's it seems kind of I don't know it seems a little weird because even when Max gets back from the war like he's fucked up like he yeah. is he is PTSD city 100 and like the scene that comes from that like is super interesting too because it's like you've got a dude dying in bed next to him like in the first part of that yeah scene. there's they they it's basically a hospital in the round where it's just like a all these beds with all the you know broken soldiers in there and seems like one guy's dying and then suddenly he jolts to life mm-hmm. and we start a musical number that also features a bunch of Selma Hayek nurses. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's super confusing because it's like, that's another like great juxtaposition scene because it's like, you've got, you've got tragedy happening. Like it's obvious that these are like PTSD stricken, like people in these beds, they're dying, they're injured, they're probably missing limbs. Like, you got to remember that war not only ends up with casualties, but it also ends up with, like, permanent disability mentally and physically. And it does a really good way of, like, trying to show that. But then, yeah, and then next thing you know, you've got, like, super banging nurse, like, Salma Hayek's (laughs) running around. There's multiples of them and, like, shooting you up with morphine and, like, you're having a good time. Like, very good juxtaposition there confusing the first time i watched it because i was like also the the like doctor or the priest who's on the bedside batter just starts like kind of flail dancing yeah. around in a very like again it's one of those where i could just pe- see people being like this choreography is weird i don't like it yeah it's it's very like it just feels very freeform choreography like it just it, it feels wild and like i could see why people don't like that but like having that kind of expression in scenes like that I think is super interesting because they do the same thing with the hippie in the come together scene like he's flailing and dancing I I think their choreography for the priest and him are actually supposed to be super close or something like that I can't remember but yeah the the flailing and stuff like and just like that kind of choreography like I think it just like shows a bit more of a wild expression and a lot of people just don't get that especially if they've never done something like dance you know like or theater or anything like that i could see like the average person being like what the fuck is going on right yeah 
really like I think that the like the main thing for me with the juxtaposition stuff is not only is it juxtapositions physically like you can like or visually like you can see juxtapositions visually in the film but it's also like the tone of the way that they're singing or doing something and then also like just the emotion that it will bring from that because like it's kind of a roller coaster you go from being like this is fun and cool and like we to being like oh I'm sad now and then like two seconds later you're like oh wow neat and like it just does that through the whole movie and again I think that might be another thing that turns people off because they might not like that like it's confusing for some people to have their emotions jolted around if they don't feel anything so be it but like Mm -hmm. I think it's pretty cool. I think it's pretty cool. (laughs) Awesome. We'll transition to the third point of defense, which is sort of the way that the movie provides fan service for Beatles fans, if they're open-minded and has lots of different like Easter eggs and little details in there spread throughout. Yeah. There is a shit ton of Easter eggs in this movie. Like, and if you, like, if you've ever been involved in any kind of like big pop culture thing, like Star Wars or something, it's like, we have all these new Star Wars shows and stuff that are coming out and there'll be like little fan servicey things. Like if you're a Star Wars nerd, like they'll say one thing or show like a like a brief clip of something. You're like, I know what that means. I know what that is. And it makes you feel good. Like so right. like that's kind of what fan service like is for a lot of people is like you see something that you know about because you're a nerd for it. And there's nothing wrong with that. But you see something that you know about and it makes you feel good and makes you be like, oh, wow, that's cool. And so, like, in the movie, there is so much fan service. It's overwhelming. It's, like, a lot of fan service. Right. I mean, to start off with, it's just, like, the very basic things where, you know, the obvious ones where it's like, oh, then characters are named Jude and Lucy and Prudence and it's Max, he's yeah. from he's from Liverpool and... You know, they, the end concert is like, oh, this is just the Let It Be concert, you know, on, yeah. on the rooftop. And, you know, there's a lot of like very obvious ones that like, even if you like, I'm again, not like the biggest Beatles super fan, but it's like, oh, I know like the obvious, obvious ones. And then, you know, if you're a mega fan, if you are the person who's like, the Beatles are the ultimate band and there's no other band close to it. And this is mm-hmm. what I mainly listen to. It's just like, oh, there is details a plenty even some that aren't even like necessarily pointed out yeah i think that there's like severe levels of it too like you said like i'm not like a crazy beatles fan so i like if if you're not a crazy beatles fan you can recognize the things like the names and stuff like that right but if you like there's different tiers of it so like there's that basic one where it's like you recognize the names then there's the next tier it's like you recognize a few of the references but maybe only a couple you know like prudence introduces to the rest of the cast by climbing through a bathroom window. That's like a very big Beatles reference, you know? Um, When Max is introduced to Sadie, she says, you look like you, like you could have, who knows, you probably could have killed your granny with a hammer. Like that's a reference to Maxwell's silver hammer. Like, and there's like those references like that throughout the movie. So if you're like us on the second tier, you'll notice things like that. But then there's shit that like just goes way deeper. Like the, um, the basement, like, rock show scene that we talked about a moment ago uh, in one of the opening scenes with the juxtaposition between prom and that scene that's supposed to be like that basement show scene is supposed to be a representation of like somewhere the Beatles played like right and like the way that they're dressed in that scene is supposed to be a representation of how they dressed back then and like 
there's it's a little bit like, of that, like it feels a little bit like the Hamburg, like Germany Beatles uh, thing yeah. in, in some ways. I'm not sure if that's the exact reference, but uh, yeah. And then there's just like so many more of those things. Like you mentioned the rooftop show, like there's like, uh, I believe it's the Mr. Kite scene. There's like a representation of blue meanies, you know, yeah. like which was in yellow submarine. Like there's, there's like all of these small references throughout the movie that like no matter what level of Beatles fandom you're at, you will see something. And I do think that is another thing that people might not like about the movie is that they might think that that it's too much and that it's cringy. But like, I th- I think that it leaves, I don't know, I think it leaves that fan service like feeling I was talking about for everybody, you know, like it leaves like you you will get like that feeling of like I know what they're talking about like no matter what level you're at with it but then I think super severe Beatles fans they will think that it's cringy I mean yeah so like some of the deeper details I was just like I had to like look some of these up mm-hmm. and you know it's things like Jude's dad leaves when he's four which is the same when John Lennon's dad yeah. you know left when he's four and things like that or you know not quite as obtuse where like Jude's getting his payment from the shipyard worker. He's like, oh, he talks about how I didn't think I would be doing this when I was 64, you know? It's when I'm 64 and all all these sort of things. Even the Prudence, like when Prudence locks herself in the closet where like that's a thing that actually happened with Mia Farrow's sister when they were visiting the Beatles over in India and like that Prudence locked herself in the closet, which is why they did that. Yeah, the Marahishi shit. Yeah, but I also am like, wait, so did you make this character gay just because she's literally locked in a closet in one scene? That's, (laughs) I didn't think about that. That's pretty funny. Uh, No, yeah. um, Oh, man, the the Marahishi thing, like, because the Marahishi thing was like a weird thing for the Beatles, too. That's kind of like an offshoot comment, but like, because that's what that's referencing is like the Mia Farrow thing when they were like hanging out with the Marahishi or whatever. One of their songs, and I can't remember what it was off the top of my head right now, but one of their songs was supposed to be, oh shit, what was it? One of their songs was supposed to be about the Marahishi and like the hook, like the hook line was Marahishi, but then they changed it to something else so that they wouldn't slander him essentially, but they fucking ended up hating that guy because he was a fucking creep. Shit, what was that fucking song called? It's gonna drive me crazy. Sexy Sadie, yeah, Sexy Sadie was supposed to be Mara Hishi, you broke the wo- rules, you you made a fool of everyone, was like the original lyrics, right. supposedly, but then they changed to Sexy Sadie so that they could like not slander the dude, but yeah, so the reference, the reference to the closet thing, like there's so many little things like that throughout the entire movie, and if you're a big fan of the Beatles, you're either gonna love it or you're gonna hate it. Yeah, and I mean, I think this is, I, you talked about this a little bit, but this is a good time to reiterate the whole like variations thing mm-hmm. where it's just like, where like personally I am not as much of a Beatles purist where it's just like, I can, I don't know, generally I can handle interpretations. Like there's cover songs that I don't like, but like, what were you going to do for a movie like this? Just like play all the songs? Yeah. Like, well, how are you, how are you going to, uh, it's a jukebox musical and it would have been weird and not tone fitty to just play all the songs like straight up. It's just like, oh yeah, we're going to play all the things the way it is. I mean, one of the first ones that sticks out, I think is when Prudence is the football field scene that I talked about, which is she sings, I want to hold your hand. And I think it 
might be my favorite musical part in the entire movie. Yeah. It, she makes it into like such a sad, like, I can't be with this, like, girl I have a crush on, like, who's another cheerleader. And just like, it's a very, like, emotional, like, slow, dour version. And it's just like, yeah, I want to hold your hand. The normal version would not have worked there at all. Or, you know, maybe you could have, you know, just done it like, a lot of the criticisms of this movie often, like when I was reading reviews, were like, it's so literal at times. And it is like pretty literal at times, but, you know, doing something like that as opposed to like the first time that Jude actually musters up the courage to go talk to Lucy and that's, I want to hold your hand and it's just like straightforward. It's like, yeah, yeah that takes more creative and takes more of a risk and... You know, again, you're if you're a super fan, that might turn you off. Or even if you're just like a casual person who like you know the Beatles because they're one of like the five bands you know. All these like I don't want to hear a Janis Joplin esque version of this song sung yeah. by Sadie. But I don't know. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> like you're fundamentally undercutting what the movie has to do if you're too critical of that. I think. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think that like, yeah, like the I want to hold your hand scene, like them slowing it down as much as they did and making it more like emotional and like touching, like it wouldn't have worked any other way. And like, I want to hold your hand as the Beatles like original is very like upbeat and happy, you know, like, and you can't like, to be frank, most Beatles songs are quite, it's pop music. Let's be real. So like it's upbeat and it's happy. You can't have that through the entire film. Otherwise, you're just, I don't know. It just wouldn't have worked. It wouldn't have worked. It would have come off really strangely. Um, There's so many songs that portray more intensity with the way that the composers for the movie decided to make them. You know, like, they're like, we're going to do it like this. Like, And also, you got to think about, like, the way that the songs are suiting the actors' voices. Like... I think everyone, I think the songs that were, like, the parts of songs and the songs that were assigned to actors for whatever scenes or whatever, like, I think they, I think they were spot on with that. I think that the people they chose to do the things that they did was perfect. And then on top of it, you got multiple pe- multiple actors singing on the same songs at certain times and making, like, really cool harmonies and things like that, which is another Beatles thing. Harmonies was, like, really big deal for them yeah there's one i forget which song it is now but it's like sung with nine characters because the way that it was recorded by the beatles was three of them singing like triple harmonies Mm -hmm. so they like how can we recreate this well let's have nine people sing it and that's the same as the nine voices when they were recording it like there's some details in this that are like sort of like those unnecessarily deep like oh clearly like this was made by hardcore Beatles folks. This isn't like casually tossed together. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they took a lot of time for this shit. Like it wasn't, it wasn't just like, we're going to do the Beatles songs. Let's, let's ship it. You know, like there was thought on the choreography. There was thought on like the tempo. There was thought, there was thought into like every single bit of how they were going to end up doing these songs. And I think that it shows, like, I think that it really shows in the film. And I think that they did a really good job. Like, I, I personally, like, something about that that, like, really has stuck with me and I, you know, haven't really realized it over the years is that, like, like I said, like, a lot of these songs, it was my first time hearing them and, like, a few of them, like, I like the Across the Universe version a little better because right. it was my first impression, but, like, that movie was, like, probably one of the first times I ever started, like, singing, like, 
mm-hmm. to myself at home. Like I've never done that before. I didn't think I could. And so as a musician, like that was actually really pivotal in any kind of like musical growth for me as far as like vocals go. Cause I definitely wouldn't have, you know, I definitely wouldn't be doing any of the shit I'm doing right now. Like if I hadn't have like thought I could even try at home alone, you know, like, mm-hmm. cause there's, there's some people who sing in the shower and there's some people who sing in their car and like, I just was never that person when I was young. Hmm. But when I saw that movie, like the way that they did the songs was like so nice and touching to me and like emotional, like cause some of the the ways that they did some of the songs like made me emotional and made me cry. Like having that stick with me, like caused me to sing them to myself at home. And I thought that was really cool. I didn't even really realize that up until like pretty recently, but it's like, I don't know, like having like that door open up in that way is kind of interesting. Yeah. You you have more musical influence than I think uh most people might guess. If you're singing because of across the universe, if your style is inspired by Chicago, as you may have <laughs> yeah. mentioned to me prior, you know, there's lots of uh musical theater <laughs> tendrils a little a little bit creeping up in there. That, yeah. And I've never been like, I was never a theater kid or anything. Right. I never did anything like that. I did watch a lot of musicals growing up just because like I watched TV with my grandma. Um, mm-hmm. So we'd watch things like musicals, like Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. I still have on VHS and I think it's a great movie. I think it's hilarious and kind of terrible, but th- I don't know. Like I'm not like a musical fan though, you know, which is also interesting. Like it's it's specific musicals, you know, right. like if a musical is good, I'll keep watching it. Chicago, I think is the best musical of all time. So as far as like being put in a movie form, I've probably only ever seen one musical in person in my entire life and... Yeah, so it's like, I definitely have gotten influence from those things because I think it is the combination of like, the visuals, the music, like the the emotions that it's carrying, like those things can stick with me just like it can for anybody else. Right. And yeah, maybe if it wasn't for Chicago, I wouldn't wear fishnets. Who's to say? Yeah, well, it works. It works. <laughs> All right, so we should probably move on to your fourth point of defense. And I'm just going to quote this directly as you sent it to me the cast and crew is dumb talented yeah they they are (laughs) the cast and crew on this movie is dumb talented and if someone can't see that watching the movie they're fucking dumb i i don't know how else to express that like yeah it is weird that there were a couple where they're like these people singing Eh," i'm like i don't know that's that's a weird criticism to me yeah and it's also like i'm sorry like these people singing but it's like can you do that? Like, can you simultaneously act and do choreography and then, like, also record the vocals yourself and not have a stand-in, like, for that? Because, like, a lot of musicals, like, the, the people singing in the movie is not the actor. Like, and that's pretty normal. Uh, so to have all of these actors actually singing on these tracks is super impressive. So, like, if we're just talking about the actors first, it's like, the actors are super impressive. They can do crazy choreography. They can do insane vocals, which like, I'm sure that there's like a lot of doctoring and stuff after the fact, but it's like, they can do insane things with their vocals. Like the fact that they can do both's crazy. The acting in the movie I thought was really good. Like as far as like, like watching most movies I watch now again, that came out in 2007, to me, they don't hold up very well. I think as far as everything goes like this movie holds up pretty well to this day like i can watch it again granted i'm biased because i already like the movie (laughs) but like 
I can watch it again and like the cinematography is good the like the quality of the film is good the acting is good the singing is good like it's all good like these actors are extremely talented and like you can you've seen like some actors like uh, that are in the movie I don't think actually ended up going very far unfortunately like um yeah I was actually gonna bring this up so if you like look at mainly all the like the main actors you know imdb pages and stuff like mm-hmm. that like evan rachel wood is definitely the most successful person yes. in this cast but like pretty much all of them like this is their biggest credit and remains their biggest credit yeah you know, all these years later and some of them it was like their first big you know role and things like that but specifically on jim sturgis who plays jude like he was also in 21 yeah. which is probably the other thing that b- people might know from him from. And like the, they're w- mostly like working actors still, but like Jim is so perfect for this role. It's just like almost like hard, especially if like in your case where you like sort of had this as like a foundational movie, you know, hit at the right time. It's just like, it's hard to imagine him in like another like role being like anywhere as good. Cause he's, for those who have might not have seen it, he sort of looks like an amalgamation of like the Beatles. Yeah. Like <laughs> just like if you cram them together and make him like even more handsome. Mm-hmm. And it's just like he's got the flop, he's got the voice to do it. He's just so charming, like pretty much throughout this. You know, is able to be frustrated and you believe him. And he's just like so perfect for this movie that it's just like, oh, I kind of get in some ways I almost get like this being his peak because I'm like yeah, you can't, you're like, you are like a beetle. You are like the perfect surrogate for the Beatles in this movie. And, but yeah, I, th- but there's lots of good performances throughout this. I you know, I love Prudence's thing. She, you know, I don't necessarily, there's some pro- issues I have with the character itself, but I think she does like a very good job with what she's given and like all her moments. I like feel like she's authentic and vulnerable and, you know, actually, you know, really moves you in all the scenes that she's in. And yeah, it just, you know, it is just a very, they ask a lot of all these different actors and I don't feel like anybody's like pulling the weight down. Yeah, no, totally. I think it's unfortunate that Jim Sturgis hasn't had more leading roles, but like you said, goddamn, the casting director that made that decision was the Give smartest yeah smartest person in the world probably because like i don't think you could have put anyone else in that position to play that role yeah it's hard like i can't i can't like, think of I, can't, I can't like fantasy cast it really because it's just like again i'm i never saw toy like i think this might be the first time i like consciously like have noticed him in a movie and it's just like you just you're literally like pulled from central casting to be the perfect yeah. beatles surrogate and just be you know crazy good looking and you know, singing beautifully in a way that makes you moved and you just want him to, you know, you believe that he could be a factory worker and you also could believe that he's, you know, sweeping the girl off his feet and that he's uncomfortable and a struggling artist and all of it. And yeah, no, totally. Uh, That's like, that's, that's another thing that like gets me about this movie is like, I know that they were trying to make the movie super accessible, right? Like that's why they didn't have full nudity in the movie was because and like they didn't like um the scene what is that song called get by with a little help from my friends yeah what's it actually called is it called that uh, am i crazy yeah with a little help from my friends yeah so like the scene with a little help from my friends uh the they're like 
smoking a joint and they're coughing and they're doing all these things there's not actually anything in their hands yeah and it's the scene when jude and max are sort of first meeting at princeton and it's like ah, oh, it's like the sort of guys hang out like we're all gonna like create minor collegiate terrors you know just like yeah. we're going to bars and like yeah but they didn't there's a scene where they're like faking like they're having a little joint and they don't have it because that would have gotten them an r rating yeah uh, that on top of full nudity. I think Evan Rachel Wood was only able to show one boob too because of that. Because apparently if you show two. That's such a weird I don't know, man. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's there's like a Titanic-esque scene where it's like uh, where Jude is just sketching her yeah, on, a, like on a lounge. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So like in all the scenes where she is nude, that she has to be like apparently like very careful to not like show full nudity. I'm sure that took a lot of effort, which Jesus Christ, God bless. But um, yeah, no, like. I know that they were trying to make this movie marketable to like in a way that they could show like parents could watch it with their kids because the generation that's into the Beatles at that point would have had kids. And then on top of it, they're like, there's a love story. They're also trying to market it to teenage girls. They did a good job because it got me. But like <laughs> picking Jim for Jude was really smart because he's he's attractive he's charming he's like a little bit of a bad boy and an artist and stuff but he's also like a nice he's a, he's a bad boy but also approachable and like yeah, nice, he's a guy. nice guy like there's nothing like the worst thing that he does is like beat up the annoying anti-war <laughs> he like punches yeah. the anti-war guy and it's also like at that point in the movie how it's presented you're kind of like yeah i'm kind of i'm kind of sick of <laughs> Yeah, it, it, I don't like that, this dude. <laughs> yeah, you're like, eh, stop hanging around with this dude, Lucy. Like, you have a nice guy back up. I don't know. Yeah, no, totally. Especially with, like, the connotations of, like, oh, he's a Don Juan and stuff. It's like, oh, he's got, like, 49 women in there. And it's true. Like, his whole office is just full of women. So it's like, this guy is a dick. And then next thing you know, he's making bombs. And you're like, great. We all knew he was an asshole. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, they make they make Jude's character super lovable. I think they make most of the characters super lovable. And then, yeah, Evan Rachel Wood, like her, I think probably her biggest thing has been Westworld, right? Mm -hmm. Well, she was also recently in the Weird Al movie as oh, Madonna. That's funny. Uh she's, <laughs> she's great at it. She's uh, basically this caricature of Madonna. That's probably her most recent, if people are listening to this now, you've probably seen her in that if you've seen Weird, the Al Yankovic story. Yeah, so she she's done really well for herself. I I wish Jim Sturgis would you know also still be doing really well for himself. I haven't heard his name in years. But then like the guy who played Max, I don't even know what his name is. Joe Anderson. Joe Anderson. I have no fucking idea what else he's in. Yeah, he's been in some things in like bit parts. Like I, like I remember like I didn't really know Evan Rachel Wood either. But then when I saw Westworld, I was like, oh, it's the, it's the bitch from across the universe. Cool. <laughs> and then I was like, damn, she's like gotten older and like she's got less baby face and she's like way. Oh, hotter. yeah. She she looks so young. In so young. This. She, so fucking young. Like it does not, especially like if you see her now, it's just like you, her face has evolved in a way where you're like, oh, I would like almost not even, it's not like a plastic surgery face. It's just like, oh, I wouldn't connect that this was the same person yeah yeah it's like it's very much like a baby face syndrome like when i was younger like my cheeks were a little bit fuller you know like and they've definitely gotten quite gaunt in comparison and i've seen that happen to other people but like i didn't even really recognize her that well when i first saw westworld and i was like she looks super familiar and then i was like oh and like had to google her because i was like yeah. had to make sure but joe anderson joe anderson he he's been in like a few things in like bit parts like 
the gray and the crazies and like never even heard of it yeah the gray is the uh liam neeson wolf movie uh, <laughs> where he just been. like fights wolves. I, I I haven't seen it, but I just remember. I these are the top of his IMDb page. So yeah, he's kind of not done a whole lot, but I mean yeah. he's still like acting. He's you know got a movie that came out last year, The Man. Devil Conspiracy, and yeah, Evan Rachel Wood's been in like Ides of March and Weird and Westworld, and you know yeah, she's she's been doing all sorts of things she, she's she's still a going concern in the acting world not like an a-lister or anything but yeah still still super viable yeah i don't know i think i think i wish joe anderson had more I, like because he's he's he seems like a charismatic dude too like i wish he had more you know stuff like i've se- i wish i would see him more stuff that i could recognize but i haven't ever um which mm-hmm. sucks but yeah other than the actors though like the rest of the crew does an amazing job like like you said they won an award for costuming and stuff super understandable like the way that they did the costuming in that movie was really well done i'm like a big fashion nerd so like yeah and you kind of have to span like this as as mentioned the movie sort of like condenses the 60s into you Mm -hmm. know these two hours so you have to be able to span the you know that americana prom thing to the dingy clubs of england to psychedelia Mm -hmm. to vietnam war stuff to yeah there's like so many different scenes in the movie for so many different points costumers have like an insane job it's a it's a lot it's a lot of work and for them to like so accurately portray that time period and these outfits and stuff like very difficult to do because like Okay, like if you, I don't know, you can watch like a cheaper movie or whatever and it's like, we're trying to portray the 50s and like you can tell that they ripped off some like, you know, literal Halloween store like pattern design, you know, for like a poodle dress or some shit and you're like, that's not really authentic. Like, and you can kind of tell what's gonna come off as more authentic or not, but whoever like worked on the costuming for this movie, like they did such a good job and they got it so spot on and they just they just really sold it they really sold the costuming i was super impressed with that because it doesn't it at no point does it come off as fake like there's no point in the movie where you see an outfit and you're like that looks like it wouldn't have been real uh there is a scene except in like when they're doing like fantasy like the sequence with that is there where it's just like so over the top oh yeah yeah totally but in that moment it's supposed to be super crazy uh i think one of the times that they portray an outfit that's like over the top that seems like kind of unrealistic they they even banter with it uh it's it's a scene where sadie is dressing up jojo because he's now in her band and he's going to be performing with her she puts him in like this like weird velvet purple shirt with like she a, puts him in a Jimi hendrix costume she puts him in a Jimi hendrix costume and it, it looks ridiculous but in the movie he's like i look ridiculous you know right so they point that out so it was very intentional for that to look not great, you know. Um, just, just for the nod, Albert Wolski is the person who did the costume designing for this movie. Well, so I love him. And props he, to Albert. Uh, props to Albert. He deserves a medal. He got an Oscar nomination. At least that's something. Thank God. Yeah, costuming was spot on. The music, of course, was great. The people who worked on that, brilliant. Another thing, though, that I like to point out about the cast or the crew, cast and crew for this one is uh, whoever was doing, whoever was in charge of like arts and props i don't know what the fuck you call that production design production design uh whoever was in charge of production design did a really good job 
I know that Julie Taymor has done a lot with like giant puppets and stuff in like productions she's done before. Yeah, like The Lion King is, you know, famously on Broadway. It's just like, oh, yeah. there's huge, you know, masks and, mm-hmm. you know, almost puppet-like things to bring the animals to life. Yeah, they do that in this movie too, like large puppets and stuff like that, mostly for like the protest scenes and stuff like that. The sculpt, the way that they sculpted those props, like the way that they sculpted those giant puppets was really interesting like it, it's not like it's not like oh here's just like some giant random parade puppet that you'd normally see it's like very artistically driven like you can see whoever was like in charge of that had a vision and they were going to carry that vibe throughout the rest of their like art props for the movie like there's like some masks in one of the protest scenes that also carries well with the giant puppets. Just the whole style that they had for that, I thought was super impressive. And they were able to consistently carry that through the movie, which I thought was really interesting. So props to whoever did that. I have no Prop, idea. Props to the props. Props to the props, people. They did a good job. Yeah, everyone who worked on this movie was super talented and impressive. Awesome. So let's dive into your fifth point of defense, which is something that a lot of people seem to have trouble with when who don't like this movie, which is sort of the portrayal of the time period and the emotions and all the trauma that gets folded into all of that 60s culture. Oh, God. Like we talked about, we've. I feel like we've talked about this a lot throughout the podcast so far, but I've had like firsthand conversations with people who grew up in that time period, and they say that the portrayal of it is like pretty good. Um, I have talked to like a couple people who lived through that time period as well that don't understand the portrayal, but knowing their past, I know that they lived a very much like sheltered, like you go to school, you do these things. Like they never saw that other side of life with the psychedelic phase and stuff like that. Right. They definitely lived through uh, the Vietnam War and stuff like that. But from what I understand, like there you know just like we have like divide now politically on like what's okay and what's not i think that whatever influences they had made them think that the vietnam war was super necessary and that you know america like kind of shit so right so from the older people that i've talked to that have lived through that time period that didn't think it portrayed it well i think that they just lived in a different type of that world comparatively because most of the people that i've talked to that were older and lived through that were like yep pretty good portrayal like definitely something like chaotic to live through and then yeah on top of it it's like you've got like these like notes of like throughout the movie you've got these notes like hinting to like you know like racial injustice like things like that especially with like jojo's storyline and things like that and then they also like touch on like martin luther king dying very briefly i think they could have probably done more with that moment as i mentioned before you'd sort of like watching it on tv and that it cuts from that to my guitar gently weeps by jojo playing it at like a bar it's like oh this is kind of touching it's a little like very on the nose and then when the song sort of transitions to not being about like the black trauma anymore and it's sort of about his relationship things it's a little bit like eh, I, I felt like you could have separated that a little bit but you know, I, I get that, you know, it's everybody dealing with heavy emotions and, you know, again, it does affects, you know, Jude being a British white dude who's kind of here illegally, probably has less connection to and has only been in like the East Coast is not super connected with the 
civil rights movement and stuff like that. And you do kind of sense that there are these characters that sort of are living in their, you know, separate siloed worlds, despite them all, you know, maybe living under one roof. They all have these very different experiences from the various things of the time. Yeah, no, most definitely. I, I, I man, yeah, I really wish they would have just like touched on the Martin Luther King scene a little bit more. I do understand why they jumped around because they end up doing that in a lot of the songs. But like for that to have like, that's like kind of an important thing. Like maybe, maybe focus like more on that, like than jumping, like you said, to shit with Jude. It's like, we don't like reserve the moment a little bit better. Yeah. I think the let it be scene like that also jumped around like between two characters things and stuff but because it's like two forms of tragedy like yeah they're both like very traumatic deaths of like young people and it's you know it's sort of the american warfare on the streets here versus the you know warfare overseas but it is like more commiserate than you know people being bummed because the civil rights leader is dead and jude being bummed because his got in a fight with his girlfriend yeah yeah no totally like especially during the let it be scene like there there's this like particular like focus for just a moment i think it's just like a really quick shot of like this one actor like standing there like during the funeral procession and you can just like what a great actor like for to have like a split second on screen showing the emotion he was showing like i do remember being younger and watching that and being like wow like this must be like, I don't know, like to, just to think in the like, just to try and put yourself in the shoes of a black actor portraying this death of like another black person in your community and it's a child and it's because of the Detroit riots. Like I, I can only like imagine what it must have been like to be a black actor trying to portray that and like how authentic it can come off because you've experienced injustices yourself in your lifetime. Like so I think I think that that whole scene was really cool, and I, I I didn't take any offense to the fact that they were going back and forth between that and like Lucy's boyfriend dying and stuff, just because it was so comparatively like tragic, right? Because like a young girl losing her first love, like that's that's a that's a lot, you know? Right. Again, I don't think it like fully equates to like racial injustice and problems of that nature, but like again, to see that movie in two thousand seven portraying any of that like mm-hmm. for me i thought it was really cool as a young woman just seeing that especially growing up where i grew up where there was a lot of racism and homophobia it was like nice to see like a mainstream movie portraying that mm-hmm. in an emotional way yeah and sort of speaking to the portrayal of the period i think one of the things the movie sort of does well and i think it's also in the same hand what people don't like about sort of its portrayal of the movie is it does sort of it hits like the broad strokes very well like you do get the you know max and his family's like americana and you do get like the princeton collegiate feel of the thing or like the liverpool shipyard or the psychedelia and you know you each time you're dropped into one of those scenes you're like oh i know exactly where i am i know like what like the era that this represents and i think some people just are like it's almost it's so broad and easy to figure out that they like are like this is making it like cartoonish or you know like like making it like too easy to do but i i I think that there is a balance on that and that's one that you know if you're watching this movie i could see it tilting either way for you and i'm not like no you're 
you're necessarily wrong in that. It's just like it's sort of where it is. But yeah, it also touches on a lot of the, you know, speaking to more of the traumatic part of it, it touches on a lot of the anxieties, be it the, you know, Prudence's anxiety over being queer or, you know, Max's draft anxiety or all these different things that were sort of would be bubbling up in the people at this age, even if, you know, it is maybe broad stroke, but it's just like, oh, no, but that like is most people and, you know, thrust into these situations would have these very strong emotions that they would uh, try and get out or even like Lucy, like you watching the movie, you can maybe get a little bit frustrated that Lucy's sort of like gets one track mindy about the anti-war stuff, but it's like, oh yeah, it totally makes sense why she would do that. As we said, where it's just like, well, she's lost, you know, her first love over it. She's like afraid any day she could lose her brother over Mm -hmm. it. It's just like, yeah, it just, you know, it's fun hanging out with Jude and all this, but it just seems trivial to her. And that's like a totally justifiable, you know, position for that character to hold and it doesn't ring as like being untrue even if you might get even if, i think the movie might present it a little bit where it's a little like single track minded where she doesn't even like consider that like oh i'm spending all my time apart from yeah. this and like why are you so why were you being mean to him and it's like well you literally were here for like one hour a day i'm like a little frustrated but like you understand that like that could very legitimately be how a character in that position feels the whole this war is ruining everything about my life and going to kill all the people that i love and so i'm just gonna hyper focus on that yeah i think that i think that with that time period like a lot of people during that time at her like age range were like hyper involved in you know revolution tactics and like trying to organize protests trying to organize like anti-war propaganda trying to like get older people to understand that the war isn't a good time and that we shouldn't be there so i think like during that time period a lot of people were actively doing that especially young women like young women got very passionate about the vietnam war like because it's like it's kind of fucking jarring and all of their boyfriends and husbands are and brothers like they're all being sent away like and women are not drafted right like so it's like women are stuck here to just worry granted like it would suck to get drafted either way like if you're a woman or not but it's like the reality is that like women were left at home to you know try and like do anything to like either help the war effort or to protest against it right Um, i mean it is just that patriarchal thing where it's they are it's basically done without any of their consent it's not like there's a bunch of women politicians sending all these people off to war it's just like oh no, all the guys have decided to do this and you just have to take it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, there, there's basically like no in between. Well, I guess, I guess the in between for if you're working with the war or against it would be, you're just grieving because you've just right. lost like your entire, the entire male side of your family to the Vietnam War. Like, and that, that's rough. Like I, I've known people who lost people in Vietnam and they, mm-hmm. they think it was the stupidest thing ever because it's like, it didn't have to, it didn't have to fucking happen. Like, right. uh, and that, you know, it hurts to hear about. Cause it's like, yeah, like I'm of the stance that war is fucking stupid. We're in 2023. The fact that we're still having wars on this planet blows my mind. Mm-hmm. We definitely should have figured out a better way to handle disputes at this point, but instead we're still blowing people up. Great. 
But yeah, with Lucy freaking out at Jude and being like, I don't know why you're upset. That's also like just a really good portrayal of relationships, you know, mm-hmm. like because like even if you're with someone, this is crazy, but like even if I guess it's not that crazy. If you're with someone and you're super secure together and you're happy and like things are going well, you know, other things in your life like, you know, you'll find hobbies or jobs or things that you're going to go do that are going to take up your time and they're going to take your attention because you're so secure in your relationship. You're like, I can focus on something else. Right. But she's also got like actual like trauma from it that she's working through trauma from it that she's working with to push herself further into this path of the revolution and stuff. And like, I can see why she's like, I don't know why you're upset because it's like, I've been in a relationship before where it was like, I felt very secure and happy in the relationship and I felt like I was able to spend my time focusing on other things because that sense of security was there and it was like, cool, everything's fine. Like, this is going well. There's no drama. There's no fighting. Everything's chill. But then me spending time doing other things caused that same exact riff where it's like, what are you doing? And it's like, we're good. So, you know. um, I'm an independent person. I'm an independent person. I also do think that it's pretty common that when people do get into get into the phase of a relationship where they're not fighting and everything is good, they confuse that with boredom mm-hmm. because there isn't like an up and down like emotional field, you know? Right. You feel like you're not working at it yeah. or you're not like there's not effort there. So yeah, there's no like there's no like highs and lows. There's just like everything is good. And I think that that can cause people to kind of lose their shit a little bit. I think that's one of the things that causes people to cheat personally because they think that they're bored when in reality it's like your relationship's going really well and there's just nothing like dramatic happening. So right. chill out. So like watching across the universe now again now that I've like been in relationships and stuff like I can see that kind of thing where it's like I like Jude's like kind of jealous and he's like I'm going to start some shit. <laughs> it's like yeah. But, like, in reality, if he would, like, leave it alone and just let her do her thing, it could have ended up oh, okay. Oh, yeah. He, like, it's sort of like they are, neither, both parties are partially at fault. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, Jude is, Jude is, you know, irrational about, you know, his his jealousy gets the better of him. And he mm-hmm. just feels, you know, ignored. It is like ego is not being stroked or whatever. And, you know, then Lucy is, you know, not realizing that, He's feeling that way, you know, feeling that way. And probably could have like, again, if either of them were like open about it, they probably could have worked it out very easily, but they are not. Yeah. And that's, you know, what you're talking about when you get in that comfort zone where you're like, we're good. We're just going to let things simmer under the surface. You know, that's, that's the healthy way. I mean, I think there's a really good moment in this. It's right after the, you know, it's when he's the post guitar gently weeps scene where Jojo's walking him back and, he doesn't know yet that Lucy's basically like moved out, but they just had their big fight. And I think uh, Jojo mentions like, how's Lucy? And he's like, Jude's like, well, she's fighting for the cause. Problem is like, I don't have one essentially is what he says. And really it's like, well, the movie is basically saying, at least in my interpretation is basically like love is his cause. He just like, doesn't have a way to express that. Like Mm -hmm. that's, him and Lucy is the most important thing to him. And the fact that he can't, you know, have that all the time is sort of driving him a little bit mad. Yeah. Like, and I it's a possessive see, thing for sure. Oh, totally. Like, and I see that in, like, I've dealt with that in relationships too, where it's like, 
oh, I'm the thing that's making you happy. Like, that's not healthy. Like, you need to have something else to do. Like, you need to have other stuff that you're passionate about, not just your girlfriend. Like, I love that you love me, but like, have other shit to do. Like, be passionate about something else. For Jude, he's like passionate about his art and stuff. But as an artist, I understand that emotions fuel your art. So when you don't have something there and if his thing is love you know Mm -hmm. if love is what fuels his art then he really does have nothing if he feels alone yeah and also i mean i think there is a moment where lucy like makes a comment where he's like oh yeah i've got like a big project i'm gonna do like a strawberry like design thing and she's like kind of like well you don't like what are you actually doing (laughs) yeah like yeah you're doing art but like are you making any difference in the world kind of like that's the like subtext of the thing and it's just like oh yeah if you're an artistic creative person and you're already having struggling relationships with your partner and then they're like yeah but your your art's like kind of trivial it's like cool i have no foundation anymore yeah like the two things i'm passionate about are you and the work that i do and you've based and now you basically said, eh, I don't see why you're upset with me and I don't see why you think this art is so cool. Yeah, I think that that's like another like I, I think that that whole that whole period of scenes in the movie where they're like fighting about shit is so like representative of real relationships where it's like you need to be supportive of your fucking partner's work whether it's their hobby or their job like if you're not that hurts like yeah uh i do also see the animosity for her being valid because it's like he doesn't have a real job like how are they paying the bills like is it all on her like who, who yeah but it's who's also paying the bills in this movie uh, also, also yeah like, <laughs> there's, like, there's lots of things because also she, i don't know how much I don't know how much of the work she's doing is like volunteer work. Yeah, I don't either. It seems like she's yeah. just kind of like she walked, wandered in the offices doing. I'm sure they have like some fundraising mechanisms of the anti-war things because you know people did them like full time. But it's also like, yeah, I mean, it's a very like you know bohemian art movie where it's just like, yeah, I don't know how all these people are paying for this nope. like pretty big like New York City apartment. I mean, I know they have enough roommates so that helps but still uh, yeah you know there's 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 always things to like nitty pick yeah there's definitely definitely some discrepancies there with the the paying bills i'm not sure how they got back from when they got dropped off in the middle no idea that that's a that's a plot hole i never really enjoyed was like how did you where were you and how did you get back yeah when the bono's bus just drops them off at like the lsd place but there's then they're like we're not going to california and they're like well our bus is going to california so yeah get fucked bye <laughs> yeah no that yeah the discrepancies with that is a, is really funny to me a- another good thing for time period about the lucy jude revolution situation too is like you've got lucy trying to fight for the revolution and trying to be active in her community with that and she's doing that with all of these other women and it's like mostly women and you got to keep in mind this time period also had like the feminist movement and stuff like that right. the burning of the bras wearing pants became a thing like because prior to that like women couldn't wear pants like it was just like not okay like um, Catherine Hepburn and that's about it <laughs> yeah and like so you know having freedom of choice over your clothing in itself was like a big thing just to have it all uh and that was really really important so um you've got all these women working together towards a common goal and I think I think that like for me I interpreted it as like they're working together a bunch of women working together like girl power working towards a goal feminism whatever but then it's like 
you've got this dude, like these couple dudes working with them that are basically the ringleaders. And in my like in my interpretation of it is like there was probably a lot of manipulation going on from these dudes. Oh yeah, I mean, I'm. I, this is there. There's definitely cases in real life where it was very much situations like this, where it is like yeah. the charismatic. You know, it's not. I don't want to directly conflate it to like cult-like situations, but there is yeah. sort of that thing where it's just like, oh, this dude is charismatic and speaking about the way that the world really should be, and those people tend to attract a lot of female followers and then wow suddenly uh it's a harem situation and weird how this always happens yeah and like i mean it wasn't mentioned in the movie but i guarantee the dude was even being like y'all have feminine power together there but then like behind the scenes he's like probably most definitely fucking some of them and then he's also making bombs like that there's a scene in the movie where lucy like lucy's been supportive of this revolution guy through the whole movie right and then she she already gets in the fight with Jude. Jude already punches him in the face. It's this whole thing. Jude gets deported. Jude gets deported, yeah. And then, like, she goes to walk into this guy's office, and him and a bunch of the dudes that work there are just making bombs. Like, Yeah, and she's like, I didn't. I thought we were against bombs or something like that. Yeah, like, their whole fucking thing is like... I thought the other side was the ones who do the bombs. Yeah, like, and he's just, like, close the door. And it's like, in that moment, she realizes... Oh my god! Like, right. Jude is, is right. I'm an idiot. Like, and then she probably realized so much like manipulation had happened to her like during right. the whole thing. And so I, I mean, think it is it is weird because she's like talking so much. A lot of the time when like she's Jude's pushing back against her, she's like, no, like, or even her mom calls it. She's like, no, like this is a serious revolution, and like it seems like she's becoming like very radicalized. Yeah, and it would be actually like. Like, if the movie had been like, oh, she's, like, get a bob something, I also would have been like, that's totally out of character, because that's kind of how she was talking mm-hmm. a little bit, but then she, like, does have this line that she's willing to draw. Yeah, I, I think that that, like, definitely speaks to her strength as a character, too, is like, okay, I was, like, being able to, like, shut the door, leave, and admit that she was wrong, and that Jude's was prob- Jude was probably right, and, like, yeah, I think, knowing like, the bomb was wrong, you know? Right, I think she probably... She seems like the type that would have been like theoretically like talked about the bomb, but then like when it's actually, she's like, no, like, no, no, we were yeah. talking like in theory, right? Not like, you know, sort of all the like entrapment situations that the FBI does with people where it's like, yeah, we're gonna, they get in with like radical people and it's like, yeah, you guys should try blowing up this dam or whatever. And they're like, well, I don't know. And then like, the informant there's been multiple cases where it's like the informant is doing most of the pushing of this and eventually they're like I-, I guess we're doing this yeah and it seems like she would be that thing where she's like yeah i mean i guess that would like take out the infrastructure in this but then it's like so let's go buy fertilizer and it's like no we're not gonna go buy like no. fertilizer <laughs> what no no let's not do Come on. time out yeah everybody chill please for the love of god yeah i don't know i think i think just there were just so many different layers to like what affected like the portrayal of the time period in the movie that I, I think they did a really good job. I think they did a really good job and fuck everybody who doesn't think so. <laughs> I guess this is the best way I can put it because there's a lot of layers to it. And, you know, I know I know a lot of people see a lot of situations as like a one kind of like a one page thing uh, and they can't see it in different like angles. Yeah, it's, you know, black and white. It's. Empire mm-hmm. rebellion, it's, you know, yeah. very dichotomous thinking often. 
yeah, I think I think that like people who struggle with seeing through different lenses, like I think they also don't like the movie. <laughs> well, awesome. I think those were five very solid defense points that we dove deep into and got into the weeds of all the various uh, trippiness, psychedelicness, messages, love, all the beauty across the universe. But before we get out of here, uh, <laughs> let's uh, dive into the junk drawer. Is there anything else that sort of didn't fit into your points that you like wanted to mention about the movie? Ooh, I know I wrote, I think I wrote like one thing down. Okay, maybe. well, I'll, I can start. Um, okay, yeah. I mean, I often like just pick out the little funny things. Like, you know, the <laughs> Bono's mustache in this is very a lot, I would say, uh, when he is the <laughs> drug I would say that's the, maybe the cheesiest costume facial hair thing was just uh, Bono looks absolutely ridiculous. Bono, but I think Bono, Bono yeah. is just generally ridiculous. He is, he is a ridiculous person. I will agree that Bono looks ridiculous. And I will like I, I, I will say to the people that hate the movie that also despise the Bono scenes, I get why. Yeah. I get it. It's very like on the nose psychedelia. Mm-hmm. You know, I it feels like, you know, again mass audience psychedelia like how can we convey this to people that like the sergeant peppers era kind of way out there beatles stuff and that part of the 60s it is yeah it's not there's no subtlety to those parts i would no, say no no I, I get i get why too because they were trying to like portray him as like being like this timothy leary character mm-hmm. if you don't know who timothy leary is i highly recommend that you look him up but he's the lsd guy he's the lsd guy and I think that they were really trying to show to a broad audience, like, trippy, psychedelic stuff, LSD, like, and to people who have never done hallucinogens before, like, it definitely doesn't come off great. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's it's very, it is very on the nose, and it's very, um... It's sort of that literalness that yeah. people were talking about. It's like, oh, let's do the drug scene now. This yeah. is what the drug scene is. Look at all the colors and all these filters that we put over everything to make it like woozy yeah. and far out, man. So yeah, I I, I, I will n- not fault anybody for not liking those parts. You know, little funny things. I When the Max is doing golf on the Princeton roof. Oh yeah. And like he's basically, I think, sending balls into like frat houses or something like Mm -hmm. and then there's like four or five it's like a group of like five or six of max's friends and then it's like a group of five or six guys comes out and it's like we're gonna beat you up and i'm like why are they immediately running from them yeah because also you have golf clubs (laughs) like yeah you have that both literal high ground you're on top of the roof and you have golf clubs and now you're like terrified that these guys are gonna like beat you up i don't know it just seemed like an unbalanced like i don't know i thought i thought that was weird too and then also uh the the rooftop scene when they're like scram it's the fuzz and then they're leaving but then like jude goes up there and starts singing what or whatever and they're literally leaving and then they're like oh wait and then they go back up it's like okay also (laughs) the police are like hauling them off it's like the let it be scene and the 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 cops come and break it up like they did and like actual reality for when the Beatles did that mm-hmm. and then they're like walking all the singers down and Jude like hit away partially because it's like I probably shouldn't get deported again um, yeah. and then all of a sudden like he goes and starts singing all we need is love and the people like hear it in the stairwell as they're like hauling them off and they're like oh we should go back up there and the cops are like like 
sort of let them go and like also run up the stairs with them in yeah in Concord, and it's just like, well, that's a, that's a little strange. I don't yeah. I don't know about that. No, uh, it's totally. I I when I watched it again recently, I was like, God, I forgot about that. <laughs> like, I mean, the whole there's a lot of like the ending is very much like just take the leaps with us. You've come this far. Like mm-hmm. Jude gets deported over, and then. It seems like, you know, he goes back to work at the shipyards and during that time, like Max comes back and is, you know, in the PTSD wards and stuff like that. And Lucy's kind of, you know, no longer doing the anti-war stuff. Also, it should be noted that Jude picks up the paper one day and it's like the radical anti-war people blew them up, blew themselves up with a bomb, which is the one that Lucy was like walking in on. And it seems like, so he sees that and he's like, the paper like flashes like, the images like he's holding up a newspaper and the images are like changing and all this like some Harry stuff. Potter shit. Yeah. yeah. And you know, clearly like he's like his mind is racing, but then it seems like there's no contact. It seems like, like the guy who was both Max's best friend and Lucy's lover for a year or so. I don't, a couple yeah. years who, who knows times a little amorphous in this movie. It's like he gets deported and then they like don't seem to contact him. Yeah. <laughs> they just like you would think even if Lucy hated him, she'd be like, oh, my gosh, Max is back from the war. He's fucked up. But like he's home and he's like at least he's he's safe. He's, his mind might be a little scattered right now. He's back. I just need to call and tell you that. Or like that he wouldn't be like sees the thing in the newspaper that the anti-war people got blown up and like calls and be like, Oh my gosh, are you all right? Is where's Lucy? Like is she did she blow up? <laughs> yeah, no, totally. And like Max like picks him up from the airport. Wait, b- 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 one thing before that. <laughs> okay. He gets deported and then he's like they sing Hey Jude. It's basically like Max is at a bar and Jude is at a bar across the oceans and they're like singing and somehow it like communicates like we should you should come back, Jude. And then you just like goes back. This guy who was recently deported. I'm pretty sure if you were like recently deported, you can't be like, I'm going to hop back over there now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he definitely like, you know, got official paperwork this time. So I'm sure it was like a lot smoother of a ride in that sense rather than just like getting But it on also a boat. seemed like very. Oh, very, very, very quick. Yeah. And then there's like no communication between him or Max. It seems from what it's from what the movie portrays, there seems to be no communication between them. But then like it's somehow coordinated that like Max will be picking him up from an airport and it's picking like, him up at the airport to go directly to this concert, this yeah. rooftop concert. And apparently Max knows that Lucy's going to be there, but he's like, you haven't told her, right? And he's like, no. So it's like, they're trying to like, he's trying to hook his best friend up with his sister again, but also, I don't know. The communications also, it's not like people have cell phones now. No, <laughs> it's just yeah. like, this seems very random and haphazard so you just kind of have to the final like essentially scene you know bit chunk of the movie you just have to like go with it yeah you just have to you just kind of have to ride with it also like it does end on like a fucking like cliffhanger uh of like oh we see each other from like far away and then it just the movie just ends yeah uh, jude sees lucy standing across the lucy can't get in because the cops are barricading off the let it be concert thing so he finds a way to get into a building across the street i honestly thought with how much sort of with how much like ambition and how much like visual things i thought it would be 
you know, even if they have that and then they cut to them like dancing and intertwined in the cosmos or, you know, something, I almost thought there would be more of a, you know, imagery strong ending to it to connect them. Yeah, I thought there would be two. I do think that that last scene was like very like emotional and cute, but it's like it literally like the movie literally ends on just a freeze frame of like Lucy's face. And I, I thought maybe they would also do something more like Im- image jarring or I, mean, I don't know. Even if he just like rud- he runs down the stairs, hops over the cops, runs up to that rooftop and the band's still playing over here. Yeah. All you anything. need is love and they're kissing on the top of it and it spins around and it's New York City or, you know, something. I just, it was a little, with how much ambition it is, it does seem like it ends like, oh, I thought there'd be like, a minute more of something. <laughs> yeah, a minute more of anything. I don't know. I know that the movie went through a lot of time cuts before like being released, mm-hmm. which sucks. But um, and I know that there were a lot of scenes that were cut. There was also like fighting. Like the studio did not like the cut no. that Julie Tabor had, and basically she had it in her contract to be like, "No, I can do this," and actually destroy the other cut that like you guys had. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. That's pretty cool. That's pretty ballsy. Uh, one th- one junk thing that I have that pisses me off mm-hmm. about the movie which like there's not a lot of things that piss me off about the movie but like jude in the beginning of the movie works at this shipyard or whatever and he works there to make money for his mom who's mm-hmm. sickly and old but then he just fucking leaves and then never like he comes back like years later when he gets deported and it's like what happened to your mom during that? Like you just up yeah, and she, left your she, fucking mom. Like she seems to like take him back very easily, and and yeah. also it's like he went over there. Like I, he didn't even tell his mom that he was going over there to like try and find his dad. Yeah. Like, and then he meets him, and then it's sort of like, well, we have different lives. Bye. And then mm-hmm. he shows up eventually to like sort of bail him out of jail so that he can get deported again. Yep. And that's sort of it. But yeah, it, it is like he kind of is a little bit of a <laughs> ne'er do well in that sense where he's just like kind of pieced out on his mom. And, and there's no indication that he's like, you know, they could have even just had something where it's like, oh, he writes his mom letters or, you know, so, something to yeah. like indicate that he hasn't just like pieced out and abandoned his family. Because, again, this is in an era where it's just like you know, there, there are ways to call internationally and, mm-hmm. you know, write letters, but it's still some depiction of that might be nice yeah i I mean they they hinted that he was writing letters to his ex-girlfriend but they never talk about him writing letters to his mom so it's like what the fuck dude yeah i mean i think i think possibly it's the script and you know julie tamar being like this we've set up that this guy is nice so just assume that he has yeah stayed in contact with his mom and that he you know seems to be a genuinely good guy most of the time so and the mom takes him back really easily. She's not like, where have you been for three years? Yeah. You just, you just person who just got deported back to my front step. So yeah, that that's a little weird. I would say one of the things that's a little touch and go on the movie is a lot of the production design, as we said, is like very good. And then there's a couple like just moments where you're like, I don't know. This seems like a little like you did it cheap. There's like when they're driving to New York City for the first time, it's sort of this like yeah. weird digital like... They couldn't just like shoot like them on a car on the road going to New York City. I, I don't know. With how much the budget is, it's just like, why did you do this in like a weird digital effect thing that looks kind of fakey? Or some of the scenes where 
Max is over like fighting in Vietnam. It feels yeah. like like a playset. It's like you know it's like it's very clearly like an intentional choice to not be like we're in an actual jungle. We're just in like a soundstage and did like a little thing. But it's like it doesn't strive for like authenticity in the way that a few other you know most of the other scenes do. Whether you're in like the psychedelic part of New York City or these clubs or wherever it seems like those were kind of just like, oh, right, we need to shoot like a couple war scenes. How can we shoot a couple war scenes on like the cheap and get the emotional? Because there's going to be like all these blood effects and all these things layered over it and there's going to be singing so you won't be too distracted by it. But yeah. it is like, I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I think that like for me, like some of the like that like layering of like scenes over scenes was some of it was a bit overdone. Like, I don't know if anyone's seen the like, uh, <laughs> I don't know if anyone's seen the meme where it's like a cat staring and then there's just like bombs going off over the cat, like layered over the cat. Have you mm-hmm. seen that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's what it reminds me of is that <laughs> meme. So it's like, for me, it's like, Oh my God, what the fuck? Shit. What was it? Uh, I know that like some of the, I know some of the stuff had like really good integrity though. Like, I believe they actually did shoot at Fillmore East for the um, the band scenes with Sadie and Jojo, mm-hmm. um, which is really cool. But then, yeah, there's just like some shit that's just like, what the fuck? Like when they're supposed to be at like Prudence's school, it's like supposed to be in Ohio, but they like, you can like, apparently, apparently you can clearly tell that it's not shot in Ohio or something. Like you can see Manhattan over the skyline or some shit in one shot. <laughs> so like there's a couple like things like that in the movie where it's like, okay, you didn't try hard on this part for some reason, but yeah. Not super noticeable. Yeah, it, it's just it's just weird because there is so much attention to detail put into a lot of it. Yeah. Like the few moments where you're like, this is slapdash. Like this is like, mm-hmm. I could, if you gave me a day or two, I could recreate like probably like something akin to that Vietnam <laughs> set that they had. Yeah. If I was like working with like North by Northwest, like the local production, I could go out and create something that's like that with the crew there. Yeah. Um, anything more you want to touch on Junkie before we break? I don't think I have anything. The only thing I had in my junk note, the only thing I had in my junk notes was that everyone's hot. So, you know. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, if you want to spend some time with some hot people singing some Beatles songs, feel a little love, feel a little 60s vibes, all crammed together into a neat little shimmering package. Across the Universe might be the movie for you. It is the movie for Naomi. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. thank you for coming on and defending it, Naomi. Yeah, thank you for having me. I quite enjoyed defending this movie because people seem to want to smash it blindly into the ground. So, <laughs> All right. So before we get out of here, we'll transition into a little plugs. Is there anything you would like to plug, Naomi? Um, I... Yeah. You are in a band called Itchy Kitty. That's one thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, my name is Naomi. I'm in a band called Itchy Kitty. Yeah, you can. You can ch- do I don't know. I'm sorry. Is, I am sorry. My name is Naomi. At that point, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I'm in a band called Itchy Kitty. You can check us out anywhere online. Uh, we're also playing Tree Fort Music Festival this month and going on tour with Built to Spill and Prison Bitch in April. Yeah, I've got a couple of the details here to help you out on Thank that. Thank you. <laughs> you can check them out, itchykitty.bandcamp.com if you want to pick up the records. It's uh, punk rock music for those. Uh, you do some screeching, not a very uh, mm-hmm. Beatles-esque. Uh, you ride on the floor and things yeah. like that. Yeah, lots of lots of screaming and foaming at the mouth. Playing some bass. Oh, yeah. 
And the Tree Fort performance for Itchy Kitty is on Saturday, March 25th at 6.30 at the Houndlot bus station. And if you're in Boise for Tree Fort Fest, also the following day on Sunday at 4 p.m., I think is the live podcast that we're doing of Everyone is Wrong. I don't know what that's about still. We will figure <laughs> it out. And then, yeah, if you are on the East Coast, Midwest, Itchy Kitty's going out, opening for Built to Spill, along with Prism Bitch in April and May, starting April 23rd in Brooklyn and trekking across the East Coast and Midwest and ending back in Boise again on May 13th. So um, check out the Itchy Kitties and uh, enjoy that. And yeah, you know, check out Across the Universe if you want. Check out this podcast on socials and things like that if you want. And yeah, once again, thanks for coming on, Naomi. I really appreciate it. It's nice to do these in uh, person occasionally and uh, slumming it in my apartment. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's been an absolute delight. And I appreciate you asking me to come on. And remember, even if everyone else mocks it, love the stuff you love. Amen. Amen.